Welcome to Miss Maple Mysteries, a collection of cozy crime stories written and performed by Kathy McClellan, with production and additional voices by John Nolan. Episode 6 The Mare Blue Bog Body. A sensational discovery could be a perfectly preserved 3,000 year old mummy, or much more recent foul play. Two little ducks went swimming one day Over the hill and far away Mother duck said quack, 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 quack And only one little duck came back The Orleans Journal comes on Thursdays. Maggie May likes to sit in one of the two chintz-covered armchairs in the bay window at the front of my house to bark at fall leaves and passers-by. I sit in the other chair with my morning coffee and my favorite mug and read the local paper from cover to cover, which usually takes less than 10 minutes. It makes us both feel connected to the community. Today, though, among the tidbits of local history, arts, sports, restaurants opened or closed, and ads, there was a surprising update. Mare Bleu Bogbody could be 7,000 years old. Ottawa police refused to comment on whether last week's discovery of a body in the Mare Blue Bog could be a bog person. Like the famous 2,500-year-old Tolland man found in Denmark in 1950. The acid condition of bogs allows for the preservation of skin, hair, nails, and internal organs, a naturally occurring mummification process. These discoveries are extremely significant archaeologically. Indigenous authorities have been notified. The human remains were discovered by a visitor to the 3,500-hectare conservation area on Monday. He noticed a hand and part of an arm sticking out of the marsh, and notified a conservation officer who called in police. An important habitat for rare plants, birds, and other wildlife, and the largest carbon capture sink in southern Ontario, the Mare Blue Bog absorbs about 1,600 tons of carbon every year, roughly equivalent to the annual energy emissions of 1,400 homes. It's approximately 7,700 years old. Wow. As I took my mug back to the kitchen, I thought about my last visit to the bog six months earlier. Unfortunately, dogs are not welcome, so I don't go as often as I'd like. But I love its mysterious haunting quality, especially at dusk. I've never actually seen feu follet, those wisps of escaping methane gas, said to look like sparks of ghostly fairies. But I think I saw a firefly there once, and it was magical. During the day, human visitors exhibit a different kind of transcendent beauty. That afternoon in April, I saw a lively group of schoolchildren, nine or ten-year-olds, try to break the floating boardwalk by jumping up and down in unison. A sharp reprimand from the teacher, a tall, thinned, bespeckled man with short, curly gray hair, curtailed that experiment. I smiled indulgently. Kids are only young once. But as they moved on, the excited chatter and taunts to one another carried across the bog so clearly that I could hear every word. I let them get ahead, plugged headphones into my phone, and called up some jazz tunes. Keith Jarrett, 
to help create a more mystical, contemplative mood. Which in turn was suddenly shattered by a loud plop, a yell, and some language I hoped the kids didn't hear. I turned and ran back around some bushy cattails at a bend in the route to a half-submerged man who thrashed, splashed, and struggled to get out of the water. Some bogs are like quicksand, so I did what you're supposed to do when someone falls in the ice. I lay stomach down on the boardwalk and stretched my arms towards him, so that in his desperate efforts to get out, he wouldn't accidentally drag me in. He gripped my hands, then my arms, pulled himself up, and finally managed to climb out. Then he was on all fours, covered in mud, retching and choking. You're going to be okay, I said, as I scrambled up and sought my phone. I'll call an ambulance. You're probably in shock. No, no. He gasped. I, it is what it is. I, I'm fine. I'm just, just a little winded. He sat back on his haunches, still breathing shallowly, then labored to his feet on his own, shaky but refusing my offered hand, and turned to look back at the dark sludge. Did you lose something? No, no, I'm good, thanks. Thank, yeah, really, thanks. I'm just gonna get back home now, get out of these disgusting wet clothes. <coughs> he cleared his throat, spat a gob of brown gunk into the bog, wiped himself off, and skittered away back towards the parking lot. I almost followed to make sure that he was okay, but he moved at quite a clip, once his muddy running shoes shed enough slime to let him move forward without slipping. Now, as I rinsed my mug in the sink, I thought about how traumatic such a cold dunk could be. The quicksand, like unseen hands, pulling him down into mysterious depths. And how much worse if he'd come face to face with a 7,000-year-old corpse, with open staring eyes and a rictus toothy grin, laughing at his plight. My musings were interrupted by a phone call. Orleans Gardens Dental Clinic, I read on the call display. I love my cell phone, and I can't imagine how we got along before they existed. But I can't quite give up my old kitchen landline with a plug-in call display that was such a technological wonder 20 years ago. The young woman on the call reminded me that I had an appointment with the hygienist the next day, Friday, for a cleaning. The dentist only sees patients every second visit, and this wouldn't be one of those times for me. That's fine, I said. With Helga? Helga? I don't think we have anybody by that name working here. She's been my hygienist for the last two years. Well, I've been working here for two weeks, and I've never heard of her, she said, as if to prove that what she didn't know wasn't worth knowing. I confirmed the details of the appointment and hung up, somewhat disappointed. I'd enjoyed talking to Helga over the years, and I'd even recommended her to others, including my house cleaner friend, Sylvana. Sylvana's business had taken off recently, and the first thing she wanted with her newfound cash was new teeth. Caps on her front teeth were expensive and time-consuming, but I loved seeing her new smile and new confidence. Every time she went to the clinic, she asked about Helga and heard a different story. Helga was sick, visiting her sister Tina, visiting her mom, on holiday, doing a refresher course. Helga reminded me a lot of her namesake in the famous Andrew Wyeth paintings, with her broad, generous face, prominent cheekbones, and long braid of dark red hair. I liked the way she cleaned my teeth and gums painlessly, even that excruciating part where the sharp picks scrape away the plaque buildup. 
She complimented me on my brushing and flossing and recommended gum stimulators to slow the normal receding of gums. The next time she saw me, she noticed a big improvement. I felt like she'd given me a gold star. Then she looked at my chart. Any health updates, medications, surgeries, any chance that you're pregnant? No, 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 and no, I laughed, especially that last one. Sadly, that ship sailed a long time ago. Helga tilted my chair back and clipped a bib around my neck. I hear you. I always thought I'd have children, but the time was never perfect, and then it was too late. Yes, me too. When I was a teenager, I loved babies. I still do. I go into the maternity ward at the hospital and just stare at them. Do they let you in, I said, and opened my mouth. She laughed and scraped my teeth as she talked. I volunteer there in the preemie ward. I go in and hold the teeny tiny babies. Some are as little as four pounds. Babies need human warmth as much as they need food and clean diapers. Their parents can't always be with them 24-7, so I just go in and cuddle one for a couple of hours a few times a week. I also knit little hats for them. She opened a drawer in a metal cabinet behind her and held up a picture of a little blue baby bonnet. She'd stopped working on my mouth long enough for me to say, Oh, that's adorable. How do you know what size to make? She returned to my teeth. The unit has instructions. Are you a knitter? They can always use more. The nurses like to give them away, so every baby goes home with a handmade hat. The parents really appreciate it. I would love to, I managed, my mouth still open. Really? I'll give you a pattern and some super soft wool. Any hats you make, bring them in next time you come for a cleaning, and I'll take them to the hospital. Now, six months later, I had made 17 baby bonnets in a rainbow of pastel colors with ribbed cups and fluffy pom-poms. I took them with me to the clinic, and after my cleaning with Una, a freckle-faced young woman with very short dark hair lately immigrated from Ireland who had a wonderful lilting accent but a rough touch with the plaque removal, I went back to reception to book my next appointment. I hear that Helga's not working here anymore. A pale blonde woman with false eyelashes looked up from her computer and smiled. Nope, somebody said she went on maternity leave, then decided to stay home with her baby. Really, that's wonderful. I know she loves babies. I held up my knitting bag. She even had me knitting hats for preemies. She laughed, reached under the counter, and held up a little hat. Me too. A brunette with glasses at the next computer held up another one. Me too. A short, curvy woman sitting at another computer at the back turned around with another hat. Me three. Four, said another. Five, six, seven, added others. Every person there had knitted at least one hat, and some had made several. Is she coming to pick them up? I asked. We hope so, said the blonde with the eyelashes, Penny by her name tag. These hats are getting to be like tribbles, added a woman at the back. Tribbles? I asked. It's an episode of Star Trek, said Penny, where cuddly alien creatures keep multiplying. It's just so easy to knit a hat in front of the TV, said the glasses-wearing brunette beside her. Or on a bus, said the curvy one at the back. Or when I visit my grandmother, said Penny. Something to do. And Granny made some, too. 
Well, I said, if you give me all those hats and her address, I'll drop them off for you. Penny twisted her mouth. We're not allowed to give out her address. I'd go, but I'm just so busy. I'm here all day, and then I pick up my kids at daycare. Me too, said her brown-haired colleague. Plus, I work here most days and waitress at night. I'm taking a course, said a woman at the back. Penny shrugged. I'd invite you to leave your hats here for whenever she comes in, but you know. Tribbles, yeah, I said. I hear you. I went home, took Maggie May out for a short walk, and thought about Tribbles. When I got back, I rummaged in my knitting bag and found the pattern I'd stopped looking at months ago once the instructions became second nature. Helga's phone number was at the bottom of the page. I called it. A male voice answered. Hello. Is Helga there? Uh, Helga's not here right now. Can I take a message? Can you tell me when she'll be back? Look, I have no idea. She's shopping, and you know women and shopping. I bit back a sharp response to this sexist comment. Can you ask her to call me? <sighs> Look, can I ask what this is about? I've been knitting baby hats, and I want to bring them over. Baby hats? He sounded annoyed. I forced myself to stay cheerful and casual. Yes, the baby hats she brings to Chio for newborn babies. Yeah, baby hats, okay. He said abruptly. Okay, look, I'll let her know you called. He was never going to give Helga my message. Poor her, living with this angry, unhelpful man. I tried again. Or could I just drop them off at your house so she'll have them the next time she goes into the neonatal unit? Look, I have another call coming in. He said, irate. Okay, I said. But that was as far as I got before he hung up on me. I tried again later, and a few times the next day. Helga's husband was not taking my calls. My sympathy grew into a nagging, unsettled feeling, like fingernails on a blackboard. I couldn't look her up on the computer without her last name. I found the staff list on the Orleans Gardens Dental Clinic website, and read cute little bios of everyone except Helga, of course, because she no longer worked there. The clinic also had a Facebook page, though, with a list of friends. And there she was. Helga Conroy had her own Facebook page, with photos of her cradling premature babies, holding up knitted hats, hiking in the Gatineau, and attending a monster cars convention with someone, presumably her husband. No good pictures of him, though, although he could have been the one wearing crazy makeup at a Kiss concert or tinkering on a car in front of a house. The last post was about six months ago. Hmm... I went to another website, Canada 411, and typed her phone number into reverse phone number lookup. Bingo. Helga Conroy had an address on a rural part of Navan Road. I picked up my knitting bag, jumped in the car, and ten minutes later found the house in the photo, an older brick building that had seen better days. Unlike most well-kept yards in Orleans, this one was crammed with old car parts and other junk. I parked on the street and made my way to the front door, which opened before I found the doorbell. Yeah? He looked at me sharply and frowned. 
a lean, tanned man with messy brown hair and thin lips. Yeah, can I help you? Hello, I said. I called a few days ago about Helga and the baby hats. Ah, uh, baby hats, right. And... So it was the right house. I was just wondering if Helga was around. Yeah, no, Helga's not here. She's visiting her sister Tina. She's, she said, fine, leave the baby hats here. This didn't feel right. No way was I going to leave my precious baby bonnets with this guy. I forced a smile. I'd rather give them to her in person. When is she expected back? How the fuck should I know? It is what it is. He grabbed my bag and slammed the door in my face. I stood there, stunned at his rudeness, and disconcerted. Something clicked for me in that moment, but until I got home, I didn't know exactly what. Maggie Mae jumped up and down, overjoyed to see me again, and followed me into the kitchen where I called Charlie Egan at work. Charlie is a detective with the Ottawa Police, a large man with very short dark hair, broad shoulders, and a deep voice. He's also a neighbor, and for some reason always takes my calls, unlike Helga's nasty husband. Charlie, I said, that body that they found in the Mer Bleu Bog, it's not really 7,000 years old, is it? Good morning, Mabel. The bass voice rumbled. Why do you ask? Because I was there about six months ago, and a strange thing happened. At the bog? Yes. I heard a splash and ran back to help a man drag himself out of the water. Now I'm wondering if his wife fell in, too, only she didn't make it out. Hmm, why would you think that? Because my dental hygienist, Helga Conroy, is missing. And when I went to her house today to deliver some baby hats that I've been knitting for her... Uh, baby hats? Yes, for premature babies. It's important they keep warm, so Helga organizes people to knit hats for them. And she also goes in to hold them when their parents are too busy. Oh, nice work if you can get it. I know. Can you imagine? Anyway, I went to her house to speak to her husband. Mm -hmm. And he was abrupt and rude and dismissive, which many people are to women of my age. I'm sorry to hear that. Yes. So I had to sort out my feelings of annoyance and, well, anger. Uh, understandable. From a general creepy feeling that I had, and I realized that... Yes? It was the same man. The man you fished out of the bog six months ago is the same man whose wife is missing? How long has she been gone? About six months. Has anyone filed a missing persons report? Not that I know of. He keeps telling people different stories about where she is. Do you have an address for him? Yes. I gave him the number on Navin Road. Well, it's Saturday and things are slow and I'm sick of paperwork. So maybe I'll knock off now and drop in on Mr. Conroy on my way home. The sunset was spectacular that evening. I sat on my front porch and admired how the plain brown rooftops across the street shimmered under the fiery orange sky while a breeze dusted them with red and yellow leaves. With a plate of cookies on one side and Maggie May on the other, I cast off the last few stitches of my latest baby bonnet just as a patrol car pulled into my driveway. Charlie Egan unfolded himself from behind the steering wheel and reached me in three or four long strides. Hi, thanks for the tip, Mabel. Easiest caller I've ever made. 
He's at the station being processed now. What did he say about his wife? Charlie described exactly what happened. Out of town, he says, bold as you please, when I ask about the wife. Not sick then, or on maternity leave, I say, like you told them at her work. So he invites me in. Points out that none of the smelly clothes strewn all over the place were baby things or female. No woman's shoes in the hall. Visiting her sister Tina, is she, I say. The kitchen is littered with pizza boxes, old coffee cups, beer bottles, dirty dishes. I rifle through a mess of unopened mail and magazines. These are more than six months old, I say. All addressed to your wife. You've told lots of different stories about where she is. Visiting her mother, on holiday, having a refresher course. Then I tell him we found a body in the bog. A body with long red hair. And we have a witness that places him there six months ago. He crumples onto the sofa, sobbing, and cops to the whole thing. I put down my knitting. He started to cry? Typical bully, unable to stand up to someone their own size. Or bigger, I guess. Charlie grinned. He said he couldn't stand another minute of her nagging. She wanted kids. She wanted a nicer house. She wanted all that junk cleared out of the yard. Well, I stand with Helga. Then, on the boardwalk at Mare Blue, something she says sets him off. He punches her so hard she falls back and hits her head. He pushes her in, but she holds on to him, and then they're both underwater. He feels her go limp, so he pushes her down and steps on her to get himself out. My hand flew to my mouth and my eyes squeezed shut. Poor Helga. Yeah, now he's blubbering about how everyone's out to get him, giving him dirty looks, and get this... A busybody's been stalking him, phoning him, banging on his door, calling the police on him. When I'm the one who pulled him out, my stomach flip-flopped. While Helga was right there, could I have saved her? Could you have fought him off without ending up in the bog yourself? Maggie May, sensing the tide of anger and regret that swept over me, hopped up for a cuddle. I hid my tears in her soft white fur. The following Thursday, the Orleans Journal updated the story again. Indigenous scientists were excited to report that the ancestral body was more than 3,000 years old. The darkened skin and reddish hair are common results of chemical reactions with acidic bog water. More tests were expected, but they would be very respectful, followed by a proper traditional burial to honor the ancient spirit. I called Charlie right away. Yes, I meant to call you. It wasn't Helga after all. I wanted to get you out to where you saw him, but they tell me that bodies shift under the mud, and we can't drag the whole bog, so Helga's body may never resurface. And get this, Mr. Conroy has recanted his confession. Oh no, what are you going to do? We're charging him anyway. His confession was very detailed, plus Helga's sister Tina, who's over the moon that we got him, says he threatened Helga and bragged about getting rid of her. I think he'll be convicted. That afternoon, I went to the clinic, then on to Chio's neonatal unit, where I presented them with 44 baby bonnets, adding the dental staff's 27 to my 17. The nurses were very appreciative. They even let me hold one of the babies. If anyone else wants to knit preemie hats, let me know. I have the pattern, and I know where to take them. Thanks for listening to The Mare Blur Bog Body, 
Episode 6 of Miss Maple Mysteries, written and performed by Kathy McClellan, with production by John Nolan. Our company is Rag and Bone Puppet Theatre, and you can visit our website at ragandbone.ca. Coming up next is A Fine Romance, a two-part story, Episodes 7 and 8. Mabel suspects that a series of romantic picnics at the Princess Louise Falls could have sinister overtones. <laughs> <laughs>